Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we'd rather get lost in the time stream off panel, but instead we're reluctantly discussing Excalibur 68 facades in which Kurt has a tail fight with Hepzibah and it's all downhill from there. Excalibur number 68 was originally published in August 1993 and the creative team is Scott Lobdell and Dan Slott on writing, Steve Buccalato on pencils and colors, Harry Candelario on inks, Chris Eliopoulos on letters, and Susan Gaffney on editing. Welcome back to Excalibur Chat or Excalibur Gripe Fest or whatever today is going to be, but it's going to be fun and therapeutic. We promise this is a safe space to laugh, yell, and cry about where we've arrived in the wake of the Davis era. And we've got a good friend with us to help us navigate all of these feelings. But who are we? You know who we are by now. I can't imagine anybody jumping in for this episode in particular, but we will do our intro thing anyway. I am Dr. Anna Papard. I study sex, gender, and superheroes in pop culture. You can usually find me kicking around comics xf and you can definitely always find me over at sequential scholars where andrew and i and guest scholar monica giraffo are currently wrapping up a week on she hulk i am also kurt wagner's unofficial pr manager and in that capacity i am vehemently protesting the suggestion that my guy would ever turn down grief sex but uh we will get to that first i need to introduce my co-hosts beginning with a man fresh off a dissertation defense you used to know him as christopher mab maverick but he has henceforth been transformed transmogrified and thus before you today witnessing the power and the glory and the towering intellect of dr christopher maverick welcome dr maverick so i think it's weird that they that neither kitty nor kurt no i mean yes i realize that you're trying to do like a thing but there's no time for that so i'm just jumping into the middle of this episode (laughs) where i'm complaining about the fact that kitty and kurt have like no costumes in here nor farron like and it's just like a thing they're not good costumes and i mean i guess maybe i could have transitioned into this but why bother because the book didn't no time no time (laughs) no time hi my name is christopher maverick but you can call me mav (laughs) um I'm back. Uh, we're back for more. I mean, maybe we shouldn't have taken the week off just to come back at this. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, I honestly, I couldn't bear to record this one before we'd recorded 67. I just was like, I can't. 
put that into my mind until we've gotten these two good issues done with until we've closed up the Davis era properly. But yes, we are back. We're going to have fun today too. Don't, don't undersell it. We're going to have a good time. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to talk about this issue with somebody. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, you always do this thing where you're not surprised you didn't do it. You're, I expected you to go, this certainly was a comic and <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to give this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I'm willing to call it a comic like by the, you know, like if I go with the, you know, the most technical definition of they are juxtaposed images. Sure. I mean, there are images that are juxtaposed on pages. Comic. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. Um, Andrew, have you survived your journey back to Lobdell? Barely. I think I'm sort of with Mav. I don't know. It, like It's calm before the storm right now. My classes start next week. All scholars are doing all kinds of work right now in desperate, desperate ways. And reading a comic book like this for a podcast is sort of like our treat. And this was our treat. <laughs> Mav got a PhD last week and this was his treat. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> You did all your homework. Now, here's some Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We had Brussels sprouts for dinner, and I remarked out loud, roasted Brussels sprouts might be one of my favorite foods. (laughs) So I don't want to lump this comic in with Brussels sprouts, which are delicious when properly prepared. Okay. Comics are great when properly prepared. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, Andrew, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to jump in defending Brussels sprouts. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm done. I'm yeah, no, this hurt. This this was this was pain at a time when I needed something other than pain. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know the timing too of us switching into the new era at the start of the semester. Bad timing. <laughs> yeah, it just happened. That no, way four times. No. Yeah, because this is the first week of classes for me too, and I'm I, I I read Grover this week. Can we talk about Grover instead? I read. I spent this week reading. Um, there's a monster at the end of this book, which my students are very excited to talk book. about tomorrow. Yeah, right. And like we, we could talk about that for the next hour. Let's do we, that. We might. Well, let's introduce our guest, and we'll see what he would like to talk about. Because because he studies many interesting things. Our downbeat crew is joined this week by a dear friend whose presence will definitely be the highlight of this episode. The pod is so very grateful to welcome Dr. Calervo Sinervo. Welcome, Calervo. Hi. <laughs> I'll, tell the, I'll, tell the, I'll tell the pod listeners a little bit about you, Calervo, and we'll get into some of your very interesting research. Sorry. Hi. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? Are you really? <laughs> Andrew and I have known Calervo for a long time, so we were like, I mean, I've been wanting to get you on the pod, but I mean, I was like, we need to get a friend for this issue because we need to, we need someone you, that yeah. <laughs> don't want to be friends. I thought anymore, we were but... friends. And <laughs> I mean, this, this was gonna backfire on me. I just met you today. I apologize for their behavior. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're bad enemies now. <laughs> oh Jesus. Okay. Well, maybe I can win back your favor by giving you a glowing introduction. <laughs> so, Dr. Calervo A. Sinervo is a media studies scholar specializing in transmedia comics games and everything and anything Batman. He's published scholarship in venues like Widescreen, Journal of Graphic Novels and Comics, The Middle Spaces, In Media Res, and First Person Scholar. He dips in and out of reading X books, but still has his entire run of the Age of Apocalypse, aka, in his words, the greatest crossover event of all time. Calervo is currently working on a book about Gotham City, a research project on Wizard Magazine with Benjamin Wu 
and myself. And he just started a job managing the Technoculture Art and Games Research Center at Concordia University. I already heard about that, Kalerva, but congratulations again on the new job. Hey, thank you. I, I so, I wrote into my own bio, Age of Apocalypse, aka the best crossover event of all. I was hoping to get you to say it from the, like, your mouth. And you, like, <laughs> took it away from that. Well, that's been a hot topic. Well played, well played. That's been a hot topic of late because Steve of Shelf Dust, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust, the website Shelf Dust, has been doing a 50 greatest comic books of all time event. And there have been heated discussions in the comic critic community about what's going to end up on on that list. For the record, I voted for Cross Time Caper and it got disqualified as not an event according to the rules. So Excalibur won't be appearing on the list. And I lodged a formal protest to no avail. (laughs) It's not that serious. I'm I'm very joking. Speaking of crossover events, are are y'all going to cover the X caliber, X dash caliber, bullet caliber in the podcast? Well, you know, you had the AOA thing in your bio and then I was like, oh shoot, we should have invited you for that. I did know that you like AOA and I'd forgotten oh, about I'll come it back. but <laughs> maybe have to come back for that one I, I had come like on. the gold that's foil like cover the... of that <laughs> That's that's you you have to cover that. It's like the only Excalibur comic in which someone is like eroticizing Kurt's fur. <laughs> oh, not the only one. Yeah, that's what they. Oh, oh, the only one I know of. There, but yeah. <laughs> oh, we had an extensive conversation about that in our episode on Excalibur forty four, I believe. So, uh, yeah, our our listeners can go back and listen to that one. We did talk about that for like about twenty minutes. And as I recall, Andrew <laughs> made me almost die laughing by pointing out the fact that Alana Miles' song "Black Velvet" came out slightly before the comic book came out, so it was an especially sexy time in popular culture for Velvet. Just a really great moment in the Gosh Golly Wow podcast. Um, anyway, we can't live in the past. We gotta yes, move on. Can. No, no, no. If we can do fifty-five more minutes, then we don't have to talk about this book at all. That's a way. Yeah. Well, Calervo, we always like to do comics origin stories when we have somebody who's new to the podcast so let's do that and when take did your time you... absolutely take your time <laughs> but yeah when did you start reading comics what's your comics origin story um i mean i start as i'm sure many people start with uh uh in the supermarket checkout aisle with archie comics my mom used to to let me pick a comic at the grocery store 7-eleven once a week if i did all my homework and chores so i'd pick like a double like a jump head double digest or something so just like more bang for your buck there's the most pages in that and then she looked at the price point and she was like no you have to get single issues now and i bet she regretted that like within a couple (laughs) years because obviously i wasn't going to get a single issue of archie as opposed to like a single issue of like a superhero comic so then i started reading batman like during the jean paul valley night quest era very yeah, the most extreme era. And then more relevant to the podcast, I, I got into Marvel like a couple of years after that when a classmate introduced me to the Age of Apocalypse. And I knew the X-Men from the Fox show. So I was like, oh, I recognize these characters, but now they're drawn all differently and the relationships are different, which I thought was which I thought was really cool. And then I was just hooked and I was deep into Marvel for the whole rest of the decade. Oh, okay. What's tell me a little bit about your journey to to study in comics? Like, was it always part of your scholarship? Because I actually don't know that we met at a graduate conference in which you were doing comic stuff. So I think you've been doing it for a long time. But when did you first get into it? 
good. Yeah, I mean, there are probably like two texts that did it for me. Somebody, when I was like maybe 10 or 12 or something, somebody got me a copy of the Les Daniels Marvel 40 year anniversary oh, yeah, book, yeah. which, you know, which for, for all its problems and sort of company man propaganda issues, sort of first made me realize that these objects have like histories and creators and a culture behind them. They go sort of beyond the narratives. And then someone at like summer camp loaned me a copy of Understanding Comics, which again, for all its problems and the critiques I can level at it, made me realize that this is like a medium. And that was sort of it for me. I basically spent the next 10 years after that begging teachers and then professors to let me do extra credit work on different different comics. And so I wrote my bachelor's thesis on comics and I wrote my master's thesis on comics. And then I sort of pivoted into larger like media ecosystems and sort of wrote my dissertation on video games, but with comics in there too, Gotham City. But when I think about it, those two books, the, the Marvel... 40 years and understanding comics they make a nice through line to my comic studies research today sort of where my biggest concerns are both sort of the boundaries of comics as a form and comics as industrial and fandom cultures you know all the stuff that's not the content so today <laughs> today i do uh, a lot a lot of work into comics as part of like a larger transmedia system and how digital platforms and platform economies kind of go to work on the business and the distribution and the reading experience and you can't talk about transmedia without talking about world building so Along the way, I honed in on Gotham City as my niche, which which really just means I've read and watched and played like way too much Batman shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's sort of broadly where my comics research is now. Oh, I got to get you on the Comics XF Bat Chat podcast. They've been doing that for like the past six months. You'd be such a good guest Please. for them. Oh, I'd I love will. it. It would be my pleasure. Yeah. I'll put you in touch with them. All right. I'm really anxious to hear your first impressions of this comic. But before we do that, we got to do, we got to do the issue summary and then we'll, and then we'll get into it. Cause like, as much as I don't want to talk about it, I do want to gripe about it. <laughs> so I'm like very curious about Calero sort of dropping into Excalibur on this, on this very weird issue. So, so let's do the summary and then we'll get into it. So I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod, uh, which is a little harder this week since we're entering a stretch of issues that are not available on Marvel Unlimited. But if you're determined, I'm sure you'll find a way or we might know a guy who can hook you up with a digital copy. Our DMs are open to you. But whether you're reading this issue or skipping it, it is important to future issues to know what happens. So let's start today's war crime with a plot summary. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, open with Megan they lost. Put it on the cover. They shouldn't have put it on the cover. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. <laughs> fitting, fitting. Okay, so we open today's issue with Megan lost in a waterfall and a very important asterisk directing us to an editor's note that indicates Brian got lost in the time stream traveling back from Earth 811. A main character from this book is just gone now and it all happened <laughs> off panel in an editor's note. Let's continue. Megan, in a deep state of mourning, refuses to speak to anyone. Even Rachel's te telepathic powers fail to reach her for reasons. Apparently, this has been going on for weeks. Meanwhile, Kitty Pride struggles to deal with the breakdown of the team, which reminds her of the loss of the 
X-Men and is clearly supposed to remind us of the sword is drawn, mileage will vary. Baron tries to comfort Kitty, and somehow, defying all logic, he succeeds. Meanwhile, Cerise attacks Kurt with violent kisses, and he finally remembers to tell her the meaning of consent. Apparently, Kurt and Cerise have not been intimate for some time. Elsewhere, in the forest around Braddock Manor, Micromax and Kylan are training, watched by two unknown individuals. The unknown group begin to attack them, causing Excalibur to rush to their aid. The group are revealed to be the Starjammers, who want to arrest Cerise for war crimes against the Shi'ar Empire. A battle ensues until Cerise stops the battle, handing herself over to the Starjammers. Nightcrawler refuses to believe that Cerise is guilty and begs her to reconsider. As the Starjammers activate the Stargate, Excalibur are able to follow them, while Farron and Kitty stay behind to care for Megan. So, Calervo, as uh, someone who is not a big Excalibur guy or a big Marvel guy in general, you're getting dropped in here. I just, what are your first impressions of this issue? What on earth did you make about this comic? What are you eager, eager to discuss or gripe about? So, I have questions. <laughs> there are no answers. To I mean, I, I, I don't know if you should ask them. They're, you're, they're, your questions are going to be unanswered, so, but go for it. So, first impressions. I mean, it sucked really hard. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, quickly, uh, I would say that I'm a, I, you said I'm not a big Marvel guy. I'd say I'm a big nineties Marvel guy and especially nineties okay, okay. mutant so, guy. Perfect. Uh, I, I mean, it's yeah. So like I have some familiarity, right? I read so many X books through that decade. My core book mm-hmm. was generation X and the two Absolutely flagship awesome. X-Men books. But at some point or another, I probably followed every series, including Excalibur, like late 90s. That's sort of when I was reading Excalibur and when I was introduced to all the characters on this team who weren't also on the X-Men at some point. So, okay, I just said I love Generation X, which was (laughs) co-created by Scott Lobdell like Mm -hmm. a year after this came out. But I also have to say that like as an adult, anytime I open up any comic book from any year and see that Scott Lobdell is the writer, I wince. I'm just like, (laughs) I groan. I don't really have a defense for this discrepancy, besides just that I think that Scott Lobdell was a better writer for Generation X and only Gen X. Um, I I stand by that. Generation X is brilliant. It is, it is, it is, is that early stuff is really good and it holds up. I've read it again. It holds up. Yeah, I've I've still got my entire run. And, after reading this issue of this comic, I went and I opened up my old Gen X issues just to see if it had been like a fever dream or something that I had enjoyed it. Um, and it does hold up. Like like the intro to that first issue of that book is written so much better than this. And, and everybody has written, all the characters are written so much better and their relationships are more interesting and nuanced. But, you know, as as a kid, I'm, I read a lot of Lobdell stuff because he wrote a lot of Marvel books in the 90s. So, when, you know, when I was reading Gen X, it was really all about the characters and their little jackets. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm getting that. I, I now believe in the, the jacket era of comics. Um, I, I believe in a previous ish episode, did I not talk about the my we big did. fan of the jacket era? Of, um, of, of Yeah, yeah. Not and one hundred percent i agree with you it resonated with me um so you know i was really into the 
characters. I was really into the style of it. When I think back on Lobdell's run, I looked it up. He handed off the writing chores to James Robinson like two years in, walking away without really answering any of the mysteries that he'd raised, which is is kind of like what he did here in reverse, just chucking away everything that came before and then, and also kind of quietly shitting all over it. (laughs) Um, I'll also say that my first impressions aren't totally fresh as far as the caliber goes because I started listening to this podcast. So I haven't I haven't heard every episode, but I've heard like a good dozen or so. And so when Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow started coming out, that made me read the first few arcs. And then in preparation for this, I read maybe the dozen or so issues leading up to this one. So oh. something like issues one to 12 and 50 to this one. Um, oh, okay. And, really good comics, and then I, yeah. <laughs> and, and then I... <laughs> purposely purposely stopped I, I finished reading this one and i was like i was like well i kind of want to know what happens next because i've just read the last like 18 issues and i was like nope i can't <laughs> this comic has to stand on its own as the piece of crap that it is when i record this podcast episode in a couple days <laughs> so i'm i'm sure there are like eras of excalibur in between that first dozen and issue 50 with when i started reading it but that first dozen issues i read was just my impression of that was that it was just very jokey and goofy and a ton of heart and a lot of kink that was sort of emergent. And then I'd say issues 50 to 67 felt to me like that first book kind of like grown up, like the silliness has worn away some. It's kind of been replaced with a drive to be epic and more linear. And the heart has grown much, much fonder. Like in those first issues, they're all just anxious about how much they like each other and want each other's approval. And by issue 50, they're like a family. And Aww. and then the kink is all still there, but it's much more serious <laughs> kink. Not serious like grimdark, but serious like aware of the theoretical underpinnings of the praxis of kink. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> um, so... So in my mind, this issue, (laughs) getting to your original question, just feels like such a major break in the tone and direction and thematics of all the other stuff I've read. A book that was all about family now has several family members unceremoniously missing. The others are doing nothing to find them. They're just like, yeah, Brian's gone. There's nothing we can do. (laughs) Um, Oh, well, like... You know, a book that was about Britain got rid of its British superhero. I think like the one majorly British character on team, a book that was about fun or at least at least hope, if not fun, just has everyone uh, like brooding and grimacing. So my first impression of this is sort of like what even is happening the the tone is so discordant and i just try to think back i I try to like project myself into someone who was reading the series as it came out and how they must have felt at the time and they probably were like excited about like a new direction or something like that like your average reader doesn't know that davis was like kicked off the book just that he like was finishing his run right so i can only i mean uh, we'll get into it i'm sure more talking about like thinking about how people received it at the time but holy holy crap i mean i was even a little hopeful when i when i saw the cover of it, I was like, oh, it's so 90s. Look, it's Joe Matarero doing the cover. cover. Yeah. <laughs> the cover is pretty good. The cover is definitely the best part. Oh, I have I have opinions about the cover. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we have like, you know, <laughs> gratuitous knocked out Cerise on the bottom of the cover. That part I'm less fond of, but Nightcrawler it's, it's in like a Miami 90s. Vice jacket, like yeah. <laughs> punching. 
kicking Corsair. I like that part. In his of it. jacket. In his jacket. He's in the <laughs> yeah. jacket era. <laughs> it is very nineties. Um, I mean, it, th- this is a very nineties cover. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely was trying to think of that. I'm sure we'll have listeners who are reading it that do have strong memories of getting to this issue, or else they've just blocked it out of their mind. But I was definitely thinking of that theoretical reader as well. I mean, when I was reading it the first time, I was reading it kind of in digital issues and kind of going through quickly. And when you're doing that, I mean, it was all in the past, right? So I just kind of got to this and I was like, I don't like what's going on here. Let's just skip ahead. (laughs) So like, it didn't have that much of an impact on me that first time I read it. I was just like, okay, I know the cycle of how comics work. They sometimes go through a bad era and you just got to skip ahead. But reading it this time after podcasting about Excalibur for like 75 hours and like (laughs) putting so much of our time and emotions and energy into this, I was really like, fuck this comic. I just like (laughs) so angry, like more angry than I've been at any issue. Uh, Well, the Wakanda issues were bad. I don't want to rank them, but I was very angry at this particular one. But anyway, I want to pick up some first impressions from other people. And I want to pick up your first impressions, Andrew, because I know you were mentioning to me about Brian being gone from this book because he was supposed to start in another book or something. So if you've got info about that, go for it. Yeah, they were supposed to do um, a sort of Marvel British heroes tale and they were going to put uh, Captain Britain sort of forefront in that uh, and it fell through uh, essentially uh, ruining what would have been Marvel UK's resurgence um, and they just couldn't bother to properly adjust their plans or call for a rewrite or anything like that so they just kind of left it which is I don't know I mean shows how much respect this book was getting at this point in time yeah yeah what was your emotional response to getting to this particular issue in the run this issue I was exactly where you were which is fuck this comic and I got there on page one when Megan literally ceases to exist as soon as Brian is no longer in her life (laughs) so painful yeah, <laughs> Mav's been alluding to the waterfall thing for a while. So now that yeah, we're here, Mav, becomes, how are you? She's liquid. <laughs> she's nothing. <laughs> yep, she's just tears now. Um, like yeah, like Mav, how are you? How are you feeling? <laughs> okay, so I was the person who was reading month to month back then. So like the experience where you're like, oh, I read them later and just get a no, no, I had to deal with this in real time. Okay. And here's, <laughs> you thought you didn't want to like rank badness. I will. This is better than the Promethean Exchange. I'm done now. That's it. That's what I have to say about this. That is my, like, like my compliment to this book is better than the Promethean Exchange. I got nothing better to say for this. this is it though? Is- I don't. I, mean, I disagree, but you can have it. It's I, fine. Wait, what, what is the Promethean Exchange? It's rough. Uh, Never look it up. This, this, okay, this, but uh, no, I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because it's also awful, and the art's worse. Not that the art's great here. The art is better than the Promethean Exchange. The story is crap, and I'm starting with Poochie died on the way to his home planet. That's yes. how this book it's just like, and I, I remember reading that and I'm like, because, I mean, you you alluded to it in your, your recap, but we should read the actual quote. To most people, love is love of my life is just an expression. Then again, people are not, meta, most people are not metamorphing immortal, I mean, elemental. In the instant Megan lost Captain Britain to a temporal wave, a chronological <laughs> anomaly that separated him from the rest of Excalibur on their way back from the so-called days of future past asterisk 
no, you didn't miss an issue. It's just that there's so much happening in the lives of our units on the moors. We didn't have time to wait. We'll fill you in as you go as we go, Suze. Okay, first of all, <laughs> no, not much is happening. This is a really boring issue. You you could have filled you could have filled me in, and you don't really fill me in. This is just bad it's bad writing on every possible level and this is quite possibly the highlight of the book like <laughs> because it because <laughs> as stupid as that is it goes downhill from there <laughs> i hate everybody involved in this and i don't i mean i don't like i like to like i don't like to like be like I, we said i i'm a big fan of gen x so like there are something labdell has something that i like i want to say that there's good work by dan slott you know like there's a lot that i want to compliment everyone who wrote this should be ashamed um <laughs> i do not i do <laughs> not like yeah i do not like curtain this i do not like i hate rachel fuck you entirely she's like you know your your husband died but it's been a week get the fuck i know it's <laughs> <you. laughs> oh, hell like that's like that's like what she says she's like and I, we, we, we're mean to Brian, but he's still, he's her boyfriend and he died, lost to a temporal wave, which, you know, they're only there for Rachel's fault. We don't go looking for him. We're just like, yeah, he's been gone a week. Can't you get over it? Why are you moping? And she around? looks so cranky about it too. Yeah, and, she's and, like, she's like, we have to be there for her. I hope it doesn't take you too long to get over this. Yeah. Oh, God, and, it's so like, and, 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 and her excuse, you know, and when Kurt's like, you know, Kurt doing his one redeeming thing, he's like, have a heart, Rachel. She's like, well, people in my life have died. What the hell? <laughs> like, if I read a book and the most sympathetic character in this entire book is Theron, something has gone wrong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> something yeah. has gone horribly, horribly wrong. I'm a big Starjammer fan. Not here. Kylan and Micromax and why is Micromax on the team? I don't know. He wasn't even yeah. on the cross time paper. Like, where did he come? Like, literally everything about this is just like, yeah, this is the book now. And when you when you were talking about, you know, you could fast forward, except that like I was reading this month to month, so I waited four weeks. And you know, spoilers for next for next week's show doesn't get better. And spoilers <laughs> for the week after that also not better. <laughs> like this is so like I spent like three months going, oh my god. Is this what we're doing now? And, <laughs> is this my life? Uh, yeah, and then like, and, and and again, spoilers. And the week after that, drops me into the middle of a crossover. So literally, this is like everything is just like, what's going on? This was crap. It's utter crap. And I still liked it better than for me. Theme exchange. Go ahead. You Claire. said you 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 read that editor's note, and and you were like, we'll fill you in as we go, Suze. And you were like, first of all, no, there isn't that much going on. No, no. first of all, who's Sue's? No. <laughs> I like, I, I like went back. I, I, the, my first thought was like, oh, this poor editor having to explain these bus-sized plot holes that this new writer has come in and ripped into the story. And then I looked mm -hmm. closer and realized that this editor, Suzanne Gaffney, was also new to this book. And yes, then I, I noticed that group editor Bob Harris is also being credited for the first time. Like, there is zero creative continuity between the last issue and this one. The only right. name that appears in both 67 and 68 is editor-in-chief Tom, Tom DeFalco. So, like I said, I have questions. It makes me wonder about like the political economy going on behind the scenes at marvel at this point like does any Lindell does anyone here know writer 
So Lobdell yeah. had Lobdell wasn't on the book at this point. Well, he wasn't like so. The main writer at this point would have been Davis, and then Lobdell was writing every third or fourth issue um, for the last year. So okay. he had some continuity. He at least would have understood the story. Whether he appreciated it or not is that's a different issue. But he he is the sole part of continuity in the creative process from the last issue to this issue. It is a complete break. Okay. It, okay. it is effectively a different book. That's why we took time off. Man, it's yeah. so weird to think about the idea that Davis was occasionally handing the book off to Lobdell to write and mm-hmm. Lobdell was doing like villain issues and now Lobdell is the new like plotter right, um, right, right. Yep, with, Dan's, new with Dan's plot doing the script and this is how he opens it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's sort of, it doesn't feel like particularly collegial. <laughs> also, Lobdell likes Captain Britain, so it's weird where he's just like, oh, uh, He's gone now. I mean, and we haven't. I mean, I know Anna wants to talk about like Kurt's being out of character and everything, but everybody about this is not how Lobdell had been writing Rachel. It's not how he'd been writing Kitty. Yeah. I don't know if it's how he re- had been writing Megan or not because I didn't like his his Megan before, but at least his Megan before had a line every once in a while. Existed. Yeah, this girl is just a girl in a in a in a fountain or in a waterfall, and she's just gonna sit there for the next three issues. She's just gonna sit around. <laughs> That's what she's going to do. I mean, it's, it. it's just that, like, we know that this kind of stuff happens. Like, books reboot. It happens, you know? Like, we're all sure. used to this cycle of superhero comics. But it is rare to have this radical of a break and still have the title called the same title. You know? Like, I mean, it isn't, like, unheard of, but it's not regular. Because this is a hard, hard, hard break in tone and in characterization and in mission for the book. It really it's is jarring. That. It's that and also there are times where so a lot of times a writer will come on and take take on a new book and it's like, okay, here's the new team, here's the new thing. This happens on Avengers all the time. Avengers is a very variable team, right? Avengers to a lesser extent Justice League, where new new guy comes on and new guy resets the team and you know there's an event and like who will be the new Avengers and so like there but like that's baked into that book those aren't family oriented books the way an Excalibur is or or a Teen Titans or you know or a Fantastic Four right where where continuity matters continuity of membership matters so so there's that problem but also usually when something happens even if I might not be a fan of the new direction like there are there are comic books where where I'm like oh I don't like this as much as the old guy but but I understand how people might be into this right like maybe we're we're, maybe this isn't going for me maybe they're looking for a younger crowd than me maybe they're looking for somebody who likes more violence than i do maybe they're trying to shift from a male audience to a female audience or a female audience to a male audience. you know like whatever i can see it i cannot imagine who the reader is who's supposed to like this i and, and i'm not saying that as like a joke i seriously don't know who this book is for you know this is 1993 this is not aiming at an image crowd now later he will be like there's right. there's a there's another soft reset in about six issues where he's going a different direction. But for here, he's not going after the image crowd. He's not going after the X-Men crowd. He's not going after the British crowd. He's not. I, I don't know who this book is for. I, well, I, mean, I do not know. Well, that's the <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Because, I mean, we can have a hard reset. It's just I mean, this is just a badly told story. Like we're not yeah. situated yeah. in what we're doing here. We're just literally thrown in with a bunch of characters stuff that happened off panel to get our characters to where they are now. And we're told about it in a footnote. Like, I mean, that's bad storytelling, like objectively. Yeah. yeah, it's it's this is like anachronistic as like like Anna, you were describing it as 
as like this hard pivot. And then Mav, you were asking like, who is this book for? And it's, it's weird because like hard, yeah, hard pivots happen all the time. The best example I can think of on the X books is um, when Warren Ellis came in and did like counter X with a bunch of their like sort of lag- yes. flagging titles. And like, he went in really different directions is all of a sudden like X-Man was like the shaman of the world or something like that. <laughs> um, but, but this one is anachronistic as far as those go, because usually they either wipe the slate clean of continuity and like start over, like when Milligan came in and X Force became something totally new, Makes or sense. there is like a a graceful like sort of handoff. This book is like deeply mired in continuity, but all unanswered continuity. It's so hard to imagine somebody reading this and going like, "Wait, when when did Micromax join the team? Like, right? like since when is he's <laughs> not, he not only joined shots. the team, but he's like calling the shots. Yeah, he's the boss. And I never this is like I Micromax appeared in one of the other or like a couple of the other issues I read, like the Cloud Nine issues that I read. And I didn't even know he worked for the government. Like, I was like, I thought this guy was a DJ. Um, and, like, really <laughs> into himself. And yeah. now he's sort of the, the like, um, the, like, Colson of the group or something like that. Like, like the, the liaison. Like, yeah. what is going on? Well, I've not counted, but if, he, if he's had a dozen appearances total ever at this point, I'd be amazed. I don't think it's that high. Yeah, he has he, not. No, yeah, definitely not. But you know what it reminds me of? Oh, I wish I could remember the title of the episode, but there was that TNG episode, like Star Trek episode, where there's just this random new guy, like on the bridge, who's one of the officers, and you're just dropped in there, and you're like, what the heck? And then it turns out it was this alien manipulating them, and you know, like convinced them all that they knew this guy. <laughs> this one, this is what, this is what Micromax feels like, because he's just, because he's just here, and he's like, you know, I've always been here. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm I like, when you... were you on the team? And you're like calling the shots on training exercises and stuff. You're not on the team. When did this happen? <laughs> there is a way to do this, though. So are you familiar? I mean, I'm sure you're you're familiar with it. The TV series ER, which I loved. Um, it was a medical drama that ran on NBC throughout the 90s and into, into the, the 2000s, right? I think it does like 15 seasons. It runs forever. The very last episode of ER focuses around... A doctor played by Alexis Bledel. If you're a fan of Gilmore Girls, she played Roaring on Gilmore Girls. And she is very much the star of the final episode of ER. She works in the ER. And she's on no other episodes of the series. You would think that like that last episode treats her like she's the main character. She is your point of view character. And the premise of it is like she's just sort of a doctor on the night shift that we'd never actually seen before. And this is her you know, interacting with some of the people on the day shift and you just kind of have to deal with it. And it's really, really well done. And it like sort of gives you the idea that there is this, there's a world and you're only seeing part of their lives, but they've got a complete life and it. And it's interesting. And I actually really enjoy that hour of television because it is well-written. This is not that. But like, if I suddenly had to deal with the fact that, oh, Micromax is now on the team because we've decided we want him to be and then in the end he doesn't really have a relationship with Brian so he doesn't know how to navigate this and of course he wants to run training exercises because he's just trying to he's trying to you know work on the superhero team but everybody is all depressed and I don't know what to do and like I got to see some human drama then maybe I'm interested in it but I don't get that 
I get him saying, look, we've got to go work out right now. What's wrong with you people? And and it's stiff. And then I get it's like, written like they want us to hate him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, but, that's like, but like, though. that's been Davis's take. Right. But I don't care enough about this version to hate him even. It just feels weird, right? Yeah. So, that's so a good point. like because then like Kylan's like, no, he's right. Let's go and work out. And then Micromax is like, I'm glad someone else approves. And Kylan goes, Oh, well, you know, I um I mourn my girlfriend every morning and now I mourn Captain Britain every <laughs> night. And I'm like, You barely know him. What are you yeah. talking about? And 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 then and like what am I even supposed to take from that? It's I don't think this book knows it's a bad book. I think this book assumes that we have emotional connections and that like this is a lot of like when when we open with this sad Megan under the waterfall, there's supposed to be pathos there. It's supposed to be touching. It's supposed to pull at your heartstrings. And instead I go, <laughs> what? Why? Yeah, it's utterly, utterly baffling because this doesn't smack of people not caring. It smacks of people being bad at their jobs. So like yeah. Bucalato, uh the the penciler just doesn't seem like a strong penciler to me. It doesn't seem like it was a rushed book, but like the writing seems like it's effortful but it's not pulling it off and that's that's the worst kind of like sort of desperate reading experience you can have you know but yeah like i almost wonder about communication between the pencil and the writer here though because the thing that baffled me about one of many things that baffled me about reading this issue this time is that everybody is in clothes like they just came from a funeral but it's indicated in cerise's dialogue that it's been three weeks since they lost brian so are they really just wearing mourning clothes for like three weeks because that's like i'm not saying that nobody does that but every single member of the team is doing that. I mean, it's a I little bit weird. But like, they're all they're all wearing like black clothes. Like Kitty's wearing yeah. a black dress. Kurt's wearing a dark suit. Rachel's wearing like you know a bondage <laughs> version of like a black outfit. Like, like, yeah. So like I mean, it, it's like clearly a, like a Vegas showgirls yeah. outfit. Yeah, which you know whatever. Kitty's, but I mean, Kitty's these wearing outfits a black are... dress over. You know, she's wearing a black dress over over like spandex yoga pants, right? Like this is this is what the new team thinks are their casual outfits. And they're not like I like I yeah. that, that's sort of my problem with it. I don't think it's supposed to be morning clothes. I think that they're and like you know, Farron's wearing an Xavier. Yeah, that where, was my where, big point. Who the where fuck he's gave never Farron been. An Xavier sweater? Yeah, where he, you know he's never been. So like maybe he stole it from Kitty, I guess, like because he needed clothes. I, you know, they're so, getting out of like a black car that looks like a hearse. That, <laughs> yeah, I I think it's just bad though. I don't think it's like I I get why you're I I, I totally get it. I don't think it's that. I think it's just. I don't think it's supposed to be mourning. I think it's just this is the choice that we've made. It's just a dark. I don't book. know. I think no, I, I, I didn't like, see it before, but now I see it in, and I agree with you. Like because I, like I they're all they're all dressed like, up, and like they're all getting out of like a formal black car. So like, okay. unless yep. that's their new car it's that like they, they drive around the in all together, yeah. Like, so and there's Rachel something weird going on there. And Rachel I mean, just. Yeah, where's her punk gear to funerals? I mean, like I, guess. I could I could see that being someone's distorted view of like what her version of empowerment is. I don't agree Maybe. with it, but I could see well, someone interpreting okay. it that way. If he, if he's been dead for two weeks, then okay, we had the ceremony, but today's the day we laid the headstone. Yeah, sure. And so everybody dressed. Yeah. I mean, like I I can no prize this away, but that's good. Know. I like that. 
<laughs> it's so yeah. it's, but like in it's an so issue lame. that really doesn't actually have a lot going on even that could have been alluded to in like a, okay well let's talk about a couple of the like big <laughs> things that like really are bothersome and okay the one and i just feel like maybe i'm just missing something why doesn't rachel know who corsair is like is there a reason she that she she wouldn't know because she has no, she no recognition of him here at all she does know who he is. She totally knows who, who he is because she thinks that the Star Jammers are there to. Uh, she thinks the Star Jammers are there to pick her up, which means she knows who he is. She knows he's her grandfather, and she just has no emotional connection because it's a bad comic. But she clearly knows who Star Jammers are, which means she knows that Corsair is Scott's dad. Because, like, but does Scott LaBelle got... think she knows that? That's my question. I don't know that he. I I don't know that he considered that she might have an emotional relationship because he doesn't consider that she might have it's any other emotional relationships. A huge cornerstone of Rachel's character is yes, her obsession yes. with her six one six parents. The yes. idea of her having no reaction to seeing a guy that, given that her she has recognized, yeah, in the past, Scott mm-hmm. and Jean as her parents, and she would have mm-hmm. no reaction to her grandfather. It nope. just blew my mind. I was like, did someone forget about this? This seems huge. He thinks. Yes, he thinks the answer is he, yes. He they Rachel, forgot yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, yeah I don't exactly. think they forgot. I think he thinks Rachel is stoic. He he just it's a fun fundamental misunderstanding of the character rachel to scott is a stoic emotionless ice queen i guess i don't know like i think he thinks that this is no. just like i think this is what he thinks she is because of other things she does where she where it's just like why are you still mourning it's been a week since your fiance died like i think that's what he thinks rachel is yeah but like i mean what you usually do in a superhero comic even if you're doing that you would have like some little line to catch the readers up with like oh hey grandfather or whatever you know you'd have some kind of signaling of that but the fact that there's nothing is just weird he forgot it's because there's, there's no it's way because they're not the star jammers aren't characters in this issue they're a trademark like the cover of the issue is like guest starring star jammers tm and it's clearly <laughs> like i had to go back and look to see i i was like i was like why is there this focus are they why are they synergizing with star jammers right now so like i of course look for like a transmedia reason when it happens x-men the animated series had like just finished its first season at this point season two is on the way so i was wondering with the radical shift in tone like are they trying to unify the tone as mutants begin to just dominate all of marvel for the next several years or decade or whatever Mm. uh i but the, the presence of the star jammers was really baffling to me because i was like does anyone care about the star jammers at this point in time because they weren't I looked it up. They weren't on the TV show until like 1995. So like, but they were in the it, pipeline. It, to though, me, right? it feels like, had them. yeah, uh, no season three had them. They don't get to the star jammers till season three. I don't think. Cause that's when they do the Phoenix, the, the Phoenix saga. They do like all of season two is like Mr. Sinister, but yeah, it, it felt like they were, they were trying, it, it felt more like a branding effort than anything else because the star jammers just don't really have, characterization here the cover of the book makes a big deal that they're going to guest star in it and then they're just they might as well be cops wearing masks or something like that like they might as well just be like a faceless shiar guard or something like that because they well except for one they don't really have that much personality besides uh the cat lady's speech inversion thing like that's it which goes away next issue yeah Hepzibah and, oh, yeah. and 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 she, and this is the beginning of Hepzibah being a cat lady when she's supposed to be a skunk lady, um, yep. and like and like <laughs> and like it just starts transitioning over uh, in the '90s where people don't realize that she's a skunk. But okay, so 
in that same portion, and here's why I think that uh, that I think Labdell really knows. Farron cast the spell to bind Corsair's hands, and then Corsair's dialogue is, and this is this is weird. I won't tolerate this boy. I was bound and chained once in my life, and I swore never again. And then he chops through Farron's magic, and you know backlashes Farron, who get who passes out. So first off, I don't understand how that happened. Corsair has no powers. That yeah. is just the sword. Um, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> like I like that should not work, but okay that it does. But this is Lobdell acknowledging that he knows Corsair's origin. Like right. that's a nu- that's a deep enough of cut. He knows that Corsair was kidnapped and Corsair and his wife Scott's yes. parents were, were kidnapped and bound. Like he, that's why. That's oh, why he's I'm read saying, like class. He he's read the backups yeah, classic in classic X Men, <laughs> but right. he doesn't know the racial connection. He must. He he knows her last name. Like, he he knows he just doesn't care. Like I, I don't think it's a mistake. Yeah, he I doesn't. Think, that's that's. that's I I think it's just like he. It 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 wasn't. I believe it to be an oversight, but an oversight based on just like fundamentally not really caring about the connections between the characters right. and only only remembering the background and character history that he cares about, which is yeah. which is not Rachel based on like what what everyone here has said about her like utter shift in characterization. Like no one's characterization feels more anachronistic in this issue than Rachel's to me, based on like. Like, based on the big speech she gave in the preceding issue, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, she was and, and she sent to her before in some of his yeah. villain work, right? And he right. characterized her as emotional, uh, right. not, not as a She's... total badass. He characterized her as quite vulnerable, actually. Right, but then even Corsair, right? Like, the thing that I don't like with, with Farron, like, I don't know why this exists other than, wouldn't it be badass if, Farron, if uh, Corsair cut through Farron's magic? That would be badass, right? 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 Cool, of <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know why else this happens because it accomplishes nothing other than to give them an excuse for Farron to not go on the trip, I guess. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, I don't know. I just, I was trying to do so much headcanoning of it because I mean, again, I know it's not worth it like for this comic, but I was just like, okay, so in Rachel's world, like was, did Corsair have the same stuff happen to him that happened in our world? And I'm like, we don't really know. So, I mean, it's conceivable that maybe she doesn't actually know, but I mean, like all the X-Men know. So like no. if she's, she would know, I mean, it's just, it's not plausible. She's read the Cerebro files. It's not yeah. like she's, like, she's been around for a few years now. She understands like, yeah, it's come up. She knows enough about, like she knows everything about Scott and Jean's life because she's obsessed with them. She knows. I know it makes okay. Can I do my like little gripe about the Kurt Cerise thing? <laughs> Absolutely, because I because that that also bothers me a lot. Okay, Go. okay. So we talked about this a little bit on the Chaos episode, but I actually cut most of it. So we're listening it just a little bit. Okay, like the timeline of Kurt and Cerise's relationship, unless they were sleeping together prior to the "I Love You" kiss at Excalibur sixty-five, they haven't slept together. There is no time in which that could have happened because like they, they get back from cloud nine. Yeah. They're not yeah. at the manor for a full day. Like they're all together during that time. Mm-hmm. Then they go to the days of future past reality. Then they lose Brian on the way back. And it is specifically indicated in this comic that Kurt and Cerise have not been intimate since then. No, but they've when not were kissed they... even. They've not yeah, even I know. Kissed. So mm-hmm. like, when did this relationship happen? <laughs> it is completely off panel. And I, like, that is something that's been bugging me for a long time. <laughs> and we talked about this. Okay, so the chaos, 
there is no point in Excalibur continuity for the chaos story to happen. We know. Yeah, that. yeah. So that that's before. already that already so that's already sense. a problem. Yeah. But um, and, and like it's just there literally is no time. Like there's it, it can't happen. That said, I I think I actually said when we recorded that episode. But again, you like you said, you cut parts of it. I absolutely believe that Kurt and Cerise were sleeping together before that, because why wouldn't you? Right. Like, I mean, you can be friends with benefits or, yeah, we're into each other. We kissed at this one party and then, you know, we went on a date and OK, well, you know, I'm feeling things out. But you live in the house. The girl that I've had a crush on for two years, that's over. So, you know, if you're in, if you're down, I'm down. Sure. Why don't we hook up? Like, I, I think that's what's been going on. I agree that that would make sense, but that does not mm-hmm. make any sense with, like, the trajectory of the story, how it was written. Because, like, in Excalibur because, mm-hmm. 63, there's the fight where Kurt talks about all his repressed feelings for Cerise coming mm-hmm. out in that moment. So that speech would make no sense if they were sleeping together prior to that. I think it would, though. I think, I, I think yeah, so do I. Because I think that you're, I think those are feelings as opposed to yeah. hooking up. They've been I, casually I think, hooking up. Yeah, I think, I think it's totally been a thing where, you know, we're right. banging on the side and it's just because because when when cerise and kurt kiss and he says hey this is our room and she's surprised i think that's a oh okay we're doing this right now okay well sure like she's down for it (laughs) as though this is not the first time she's just dtf right like and and then when he's like no 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 it's because i love you then they have Uh, to have a conversation i don't know there's just not seen that before there's too many things because like even in like Excalibur 66 when they come back and then he hands Cerise the flower and then like Kitty is just like whoa they've never been like that before like as though right. this is a new development so I don't I don't buy it well, that's not my read of it I don't I don't tell my I mean I don't like I this mean it's a so lot of headcanoning no well no okay I mean again here okay I've got a younger sister in real life. I have a younger sister who's 13 years younger than I am. So, you know, by the time she was 15, I was quite sexually active. Let's put it that way. And she doesn't know those stories. Why would she? Right. Like, yes. like it's not the but, kind like I don't but tell we are, her. But things, we right? are the readers of the story. So unless right. the story was suturing us into Kitty's limited point of view, we have been given no indication that they oh, have I, been intimate prior to this. And I totally assumed back then that they had been like they, it didn't surprise yeah. me at all that that I didn't trip over at all because I, I assumed that they've been sleeping together. Uh, as I don't know. To, I... As opposed to this story where this story does not work for me at all because no. whether you're in a relationship or you're just hooking up either way assuming like it, it bugs me that they're in this in such deep love but like let's say they're in deep love or let's say they're just hooking up it's been two weeks if i'm miserable maybe okay maybe you're not the kind of person that uses sex to get over misery i certainly am but um <laughs> but but maybe well, that's yeah, not I you mean... but you've kissed it's been two weeks and you've not kissed no like because if if that's really if that's really what it is and she says you know but we haven't had a lip massage in two weeks and he's like well it'd be inappropriate if i were her i'd be pissed what do you mean it's been inappropriate it's been two weeks i'm not saying that we have to be happy but like we can kiss you know in two yeah weeks. but the re- the response of characters in this comic that i read like multiple times this happening like megan does it a lot cerise does it a lot where it's just like a guy is a douche to her and she's just like oh why me like it's like men writing women that all they all these women want is like uh, uh, approval Uh, but but this does kind of lead into 
to me, this is not like so much an issue with like what's going on with their relationship as it is an issue with like the characterization of Nightcrawler in this book. So like mm. of all of the the folks in Excalibur, I'd say Nightcrawler is the one that I know best from like other books that I followed. And this guy is hashtag not my nightcrawler. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> hashtag not my nightcrawler. I've always thought of Nightcrawler as this extremely fascinating character. Like he has every reason to be mad at the world every reason to be brood and be afraid and close himself off i came up on 90s comics where if you look monstrous you think of yourself as a monster right like the biggest comic when i was getting into comics was like spawn which was a guy who's just like oh i have a shoelace in my face so i'll never be loved like um so so kurt kurt wagner is this guy who has every reason to be mad at the world and he's such a cool character because his whole thing has always been like, no, fuck that. I like Errol Flynn. Give me a sword. I want a swashbuckle. Life is a great adventure. And then later, I know that they, in, in like starting in the 2000s, they infuse him with these sort of interesting inner strengths and conflicts that sort of come from his Catholicism. And he's frequently written with this sort of ecclesiastical theology. But that that always allowed for really like interesting explorations into different themes. Right. And I, I often read him as like, even when he was being like grim, it's because he was being like serious and playful. Kurt would always return in some way, shape or form. But here, I just do not recognize this guy. He's scolding Cerise about propriety and mourning. He's like, depressed and in bed which is which is like i i thought that was like very new for like an x character to just be like i've never read a superhero book where somebody's like i'm sad i'm dealing with it by going to sleep i was like that's a very realistic <laughs> depiction of depression like yeah, most, yeah, exactly. most, most superhero characters when they're depressed about something they sit on a mountaintop and brood but yeah. but just sleeping a lot that's usually what happens when they depressed. <laughs> but it's out of character for him he's all about propriety when there's no playfulness he's depressed and in bed he's totally unconcerned with friendship or leadership i just do not know this guy he's even not drawn like nightcrawler like like this penciler had never seen an image of nightcrawler before i've never before or since seen such a lantern jawed broad nightcrawler like on every level i just do not like hashtag not my nightcrawler i'm sorry yeah, like it's just there's there's been like okay, well, I mean it is actually very similar to like the Catholic priest storyline because that is also another time where the character radically changed and it happened off panel, which is why that right. story one of many reasons that story sucks. And then it eventually had to get explained as brainwashing because it made so little sense. Because I mean that's similar to what we have here in terms of like Kurt has clearly gone through some sort of huge emotional crisis that happened completely off panel in the like two to three weeks that we weren't present. Because I could buy him doing some of these things. Like I mean. You know, we've talked before on the podcast about the John Urbina Jr., Chris Claremont era of Uncanny in which he was intensely depressed and like like this, although even within that, he dealt with it by hooking up with you women. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so it doesn't really track. But like at the same time, like you could have a character change like this, but when it's not earned, it just is bad writing. It's bad writing. And it's in a book that has been fundamentally based around these characters dealing with their depression 
the premise yeah. of yeah. this book yeah. is that like literally the very premise of this book is my best friends all died so what am i gonna do i'm going to carry on and form a superhero team that's how we started and labelle knows that <laughs> Like it's, I mean, like he might have different views on what this looks like. I, I'm, I'm willing to give him the ability to write this character. He should not be stuck writing this character like Davis or like Claremont. But like, give me something that makes sense because, like, it's not, it's not that about... he has to write it like Davis or Claremont. It's just that the character's been around for twenty years almost yeah. at this point. And so you have to have some sort of transition, right? Like something, something that, anything, something that yeah. makes sense. Just, just like wait a couple issues before you have him go grimdark. That's all, right? Like, actually, yeah. I mean, we just keep coming back to this gap, right? That the char- we're dropped in with the characters all feeling this way, and it is trying to call back to Sword is Drawn, like with Kitty crying with the photos. It is clearly yeah. directly mm-hmm. supposed to be calling back to Sword is right. Drawn, He's and this is it. like the new era. <laughs> yeah, but then like you think about like what an awful comparison that is, like. You know, I mean, I've written at length, like about, and we've talked at the podcast at length about the brilliance of the long-term storytelling that led to Sword is Drawn and like how the emotional conflicts in there, how deeply we bought them because of the skill of that long-term storytelling. This is like, we were just dropped into the Sword is Drawn and we saw none of it. We didn't see Kurt's emotional breakdown. We didn't see Kitty's struggle with suicidal ideation. We didn't see any of that. We're just dropped in and told that it exists now. Like, it's just bad, bad storytelling. It's baffling is the problem, right? Because so the decisions that are made, I can't defend them at all. Not because, not just because they're out of character. They just also like fundamentally make no sense, right? Well, yeah. Uh, like, why is this story a thing? Micromax, who hated everybody at the beginning of this book, is like, oh yeah, anything for you. Let's go and <laughs> go to another, another. Yeah, oh, another world, and to go help rescue this lady I don't know yeah, from inter- internet from intergalactic police that i don't know well i wasn't doing anything tonight sure right like that's like literally <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't have to be at the radio station to disc right, jockey right. Tomorrow or he's got nothing like going on so yeah like sure <laughs> let me let me go to another galaxy that seems like a thing that i'll do and then Farron's like, I can't be of any help. Why don't I babysit? Oh, the hell. No, that's like literally not the character that has ever appeared. Farron literally was a, you know, punk ass little kid who is like, no, I deserve the power of the Phoenix Force because privilege. That's his entire character. Like, that's all he he's ever been. But he's like, no, I can't help you. I'll watch. I'll watch Megan. Okay. Can I, can I actually, um, b- before we move too far off of off of Micromax, this is I. I kind of wanted to to get opinions on this because I don't. I don't know. I don't understand the character at all. In the like couple of issues I'd read where he'd appeared, I thought he was a DJ, but I guess yeah. he also works for the government. Mm-hmm. That's um, and it's this really weird thing I see happen in in X-Men books, which is like, oh, if you're a mutant, like your life can be repurposed at any moment to just be about the mutant cause, which is like this really weird kind of monolith thing in the way they treat mutants, right? Like the X-Men started off as teenagers trying to like learn some stuff and survive in the world. And now they've all just dedicated their lives to that one thing. Micromax has a day job as a DJ and does other things, but now he's like 
holding a clipboard and he's all in on calling the shots for Excalibur. And I just sort of want, like, like am I way off base here? I, I know that, like, lots of mutant characters are written wanting to have lives and personal lives, too. But it just seems to me to be this thing that just happens all the time in X-Books that I've read. Where... I think you picked up on everything about Micromax there is to know perfectly. <laughs> like, like I, I, I mean, what about you guys? I, I think he's gotten all the major beats. That's. I think yep. he could write a book on Micromax. Yep, that, that's it. That, that, that's a Short character. Book, that's what, we, that's what we know about him. <laughs> he's a DJ. Also works for the government. It is willing to just be <laughs> no sense, and is willing yeah. to be part of any team whatsoever. Yep, that's it. That's Micromax. <laughs> and uses his powers to look handsome, which is the most interesting thing about him, yeah. which we no. only saw again. in one panel. <laughs> one time. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He grew. He all he has growing and shrinking powers. Thing going on. Oh, he grew himself. He's got growing and shrinking, so he grew himself some muscles. That's a thing that he did once, and we and was never mentioned again. So that's kind of interesting. The microphone <laughs> powers go. I love. I love when when like a power gets into like the nitty gritty of like no 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 it's not proportional you can do it all sorts of ways mm-hmm. but I mean that's not in this comic so maybe we should I don't I don't, I don't think I don't think Lobdell read that comic I mean like he it, it, that would be going backwards I, it it never matters again nothing about this makes sense all right well let's move to some final thoughts <laughs> we've given this as much respect as it deserves <laughs> um, other moments from this comic or like things that we want to talk about other other great that we need to get off our chest before we leave it behind. I'll, I'll come to you first, Andrew. Um, I, I think one of the things for me, just in terms of the setup, and again, criticizing some of Lovedell's choices, you, you're doing an outer space Shi'ar caper and you don't bring Kitty along. That was, that's kind of, she's great at those. She's amazing at those. Why why wouldn't you take her? I get leading Farron. Leave Farron and she's the time. only person who knows the team. Yeah. She's the only person here besides Kurt who knows any of these people. I mean, Rachel knows who they are, but she doesn't, but she's not friends with them. Kitty is literally friends with them. But yeah. like a Kitty Shi'ar caper that's what i want to read that sounds amazing mm-hmm. and you're setting up the shiar caper and she's gonna stay home because labdell doesn't like strong female characters running around yeah like kylan's gonna come because that's like yeah you gotta have kylan you, to you need conan the barbarian there and like that's not a dig at kylan it's just that like this comic book i think that speaks to like what's so frustrating well you know it's so many things but one of the big major like overriding things that's so frustrating about this comic is that it seems like every single character beat or every single interesting thing that you would want to see it goes a 180 in the other direction yeah <laughs> like, exactly. it's like Series trying to climaxes yeah, because you know you'd think Rachel interacting with Corsair that would be an emotional hook. No, let's not do mm-hmm. that. Like you'd think, you know, <laughs> Kitty going to space would be like interesting. No, let's not do that. And instead, we get this thing where the most interesting and sympathetic character in the entire comic book is Farron. <laughs> just like no one asked for that. No one. It's a lot. Uh, Mav, final thoughts. Anything you want to make sure we touch on? Excalibur attack. <laughs> you know how we say that all the time. That's a, something they that, always that, say. That, 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 that was the catchphrase that um that we've been using for the last. It's, it's as famous as Avengers sure. Assemble. Avengers uh-huh. Assemble. Excalibur attack. Yeah, that's a that that's a thing that we always say. I mean, it is the setup for the best um the the best line of the book though, which is after that where Kurt's like, but I find it only fair to warn you. The past few days have been pretty rough and. What you would call a mindless brawl, we will call group therapy, to which Hepzibah can say, should have kept with Excalibur attack, had a nice ring to it. That was funny. 
Um, it's the funniest thing in this book. It's not super funny, but it's the funniest thing in this book. So it made me chuckle, like because I was just like you know just by by comparison. It does also deal with um my you know, and it's again more of the Kurt stuff being out of character. That moment really epitomizes it for me because this is literally Kurt saying, "But we don't want to fight because we know the Star Jammers. They're our friends." But I guess if we're gonna have a mindless brawl to fill three or four pages, I'm feeling a little bad. So let's do that. Like it's literally him explaining that we're contractually obligated to draw this like he might as well be and and that's that's how i felt about this book it was just like you like i said i i question whether it's even a comic this was a reason to spend you know a buck or buck 50 or whatever it was a buck seven a buck 75 oh my god that's not worth that um, there's a reason to spend a buck 75 that month and i guess that's what happened I, I i i hesitate to even bring this into the conversation but i don't know what lobdell got paid for this issue but i have heard that his going rate for x-men issues during this time was about 30k an issue um so i'm very curious about how much he did get paid to write this comic book because whatever it was definitely too much um but i i just had a couple of tiny things art things okay so first of all like the scene that we open up with with Megan in the waterfall not the first page but like the second page where Kurt is is crouching there and Rachel is telling her to get over it like her pose on that rock with the like oh yeah she's doing the broke back yeah yeah (laughs) it's that but also as a woman who wears a lot of spandex, who's worn many small bikinis in my time, bathing suits and like gone swimming and stuff, it's like the pose on that rock with like her butt like sticking on it. Like it's, I just, it is it like is making me viscerally uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, like, unless her butt is made out of stone, I don't understand that pose. It's just, no, well, she's made of water me. right now. So. Yeah. Which, uh-huh. which, can she do that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like yeah. if you're going to pose a sexy lady on a rock don't make it so that like the sharp rock is like sticking in like not even in a sexy way it just looks bad i just it bothered me i anyway whatever there's no point in complaining about such a small thing like that the other thing was like oh you might little, as well well, might as well since we're here. But like the other thing was like a little bit more fun, which was like the picture that Kitty has when she's crying. And it's a picture in which her and Ileana are like spraying Colossus with like, a, like whipped, whipped cream. cream. It's like a foam party. And then Wolverine's in the background. <laughs> just, just being like, I also have fun. <laughs> such a weird picture and like there's a lot going on there you know kitty and her girlfriend and her boyfriend while wolverine's in the back were like round like winking while drinking a beer like i don't know what's going on there i'm sure those meetings were not intentional but weird photo oh no 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 see what's it but i think he's i think the team here not just libdell because um this would have been this this would have been a decision that libdell wrote this but beccolato would have drawn it and this was the kitty peter relationship then kitty and peter were dating Ilyana and kitty were best friends who frequently did everything they could to annoy Ilyana's brother who kitty is also dating right like there were moments like this and wolverine is just a kinky dude who likes to watch so i'm i'm okay with that (laughs) yeah i wasn't complaining i was just like that's a loaded image probably the most fun moment in the comic 
if you think and again like ever like for all the complaints that i've seen people who have like sort of had hot takes about the creepiness of like wolverine and in, in the ultimates universe sometimes in certain instances with um with scarlet witch and, and or pietro and also with uh, mary jane and, and, and spider-man yeah no that scans for some of the early wolverine that's just kind of what he what he was at one point so. <laughs> left left field observation but that's cool yeah uh, okay calerbo coming to you for the final word on this comic uh, anything you want to say about it before we leave it behind uh okay i have two things one is i do not think it is a good cover i uh, here's my thing about this cover <laughs> um it's it's such an it's such a 90s cover you know early joe matt everyone is so angry on this cover and it also just has terrible composition like it makes it look like the rest of the star jammers are helping kurt attack corsair and corsair (laughs) is protecting cerise from Kurt and the rest of the Star Jammers. That's, That's what the true. composition looks like. And it spoils the twist of the issue that oh, they're there yeah. for Cerise <laughs> and not Rachel, right? Like up until uh-huh. this like opening, like we thought it was Rachel. That was the misdirect. But in the last episode of, of, of this show, I think um, you talked about Davis going out with a smirk to 90s comics. And then this very cover is just as 90s as humanly it's possible. As cleavage in the foreground, cleavage in the background. Nightcrawler's got a jacket. <laughs> um, everyone looks just so mad and the men are just bulging with muscles while their waists have shrunken down. The only pair of feet you can see is Nightcrawler's. <laughs> um, I mean, Joe Mad is one of the quintessential 90s artists in my mind, but the symbolism here is just so visceral. There's a thrust toward the reader and toward this prone female body and Kurt's sexuality has turned to aggression. I just thought it was really like, I didn't want to not observe that based on like the sort of brilliant way that you all and your guest in the last episode sort of summed up Davis's run with like the, the like, okay, we'll do nineties comics just this one time, just as a special treat. Um, and then this is like nineties comics in earnest. I also have one other quick thing that's like really small and petty. Do, does anyone else here have a copy of this issue with the ads in it yes I yes do. okay i'm i'm not going to talk about the meteor man ad great great ad great movie the ad page immediately following the last page of this story is a mail-in page with a catalog of marvel titles you can order and the images they use for it are excalibur on the beach like they're all having fun <laughs> Kurt has hot dogs, one of which is suggestively positioned over his crotch as he looks at Megan and Kitty, and Lockheed is drinking out of a pineapple. I just had to point it out. I know it's the furthest thing possible from intentional, but I can only imagine how how a reader at the time, how Mav at the time could have felt like imagine imagine being into Excalibur since issue number one and following it and loved it and loving the characters and the tone and everything about it and they pick up this issue and I just imagine as you go on each page worse than the last each line a fresh hell of beloved character butchery and then the story finishes and you turn the page looking for the letters column and instead of that you get this reminder of what the book used to be and it was just like really really funny to me I'm like (laughs) i i just i i had to point that out (laughs) like i think i was by the time i got to the last page i think i was 
just done. Same. I, I cared about nothing anymore. It was. It was oh. so. Well, I think I I did a I tweeted out this ad in the past because I had people name which two titles they would get for the deal, and uh, for the record, mine were Barbie Fashion and Neymar was the two that I was gonna pick from this list. Nice. <laughs> But oh yeah, also this picture is from the Marvel swimsuit special. Mm-hmm. This picture of Excalibur we uh, used for this okay. ad. But like yeah, definitely a different tone than the previous than the previous story. I appreciate you pointing that out. Avengers yeah, West Coast and X Men twenty ninety nine. Sorry. Oh, those tech are world, good tech choices. World. I would have gone Tech World. Those are good choices. Yeah, and Just we weird all have stuff it. that doesn't exist. And like noting here that Excalibur, for all that we've been hating on it today, remains in the pricier uh, group of issues. You can't get it with the deal. So. <laughs> don't know how many subscribers they picked up after this issue but at least we do know it was an attempt to bring it back in line with the x-men books so i'm sure it did unfortunately get a sales boost from that um but anyway uh there is no letters page there isn't going to be one for the next several issues i wonder whether that's intentional because i can't imagine the tone of the letters they were receiving was particularly great but um anyway no sword strokes letters page today this is their letters column (laughs) come at us take excalibur Find a pool of calm water. Throw the sword into it. All right, we will wrap things up there. Other than to say, Calervo, thank you so dearly for joining us. Seriously, I, I needed to gripe about this one. We really couldn't have made it through the issue without you. Before we go, please remind our lovely listeners of where they can find you and what you get up to. If you'd like people to find you online, where can people find you? And what work projects, anything else would you like them to check out? Oh, um, so uh, it was my absolute pleasure to come on. Please do bring me back for Age of Apocalypse. I would love to talk would about love that. To. I will I am at uh, Calaire Video on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. That's K-A-L-E-R-V-I-D-E-O. If you have any interest in games, please visit tag.hexagram.ca to see all the cool stuff we get up to at my work. The The coolest thing I did recently was with you, Anna, um, working on a wizard ACA fanzine. So um, people can find that thing that we did with Ben Wu and I think that's that's it for now it's been kind of a a hectic summer for me I haven't had I haven't produced that much (laughs) oh jeez you are always doing a million things Calervo and like yeah we'll put the wizard fanzine in the show notes because our listeners definitely need to be aware of that one of my favorite things I did this year for sure yeah speaking of peak 90s I know, I know. Anyway, yeah, thank you so much again. We'll we'll definitely have you back for Excalibur. That should be fun. Thank you. I had such a great time. Next, we will be heroically carrying on into the sexily numbered but not so sexily endowed Excalibur number 69, appropriately titled Blight and Fog. We will endure somehow for you, for Excalibur, for the sake of our foolish commitment to our premise. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our episodes, which you can find via our website, which is now completely updated. Yay! Or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or 
pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading this week and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Mav, for another fabulous conversation. Thank you, Calervo, for helping us survive the experience. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our truly epic theme song. Play us out. We made it. We did survive somehow.